Welcome to a Tune, an audio narrative anthology brought to you by the Yale Daily News. In order to stay in tune with others, we bring you compelling narratives about the everyday and the extraordinary, stories of human interaction and relationships. In this series, you'll hear student-produced short stories, plays, and poetry, as well as voice talent and original soundtracks by both Yale students and alumni. Whether you're listening on a drive or in quarantine, while making dinner or taking a walk, by yourself or with friends, we hope this collection of stories brings you a little closer together. Content warning. The pieces in this episode mention subjects such as suicide, death, and depression. Listener discretion is advised. Today, you'll be listening to a poem and the first chapter of an upcoming fantasy novel. The poem is titled Scary Tales, and it's about a character's emotional breakdown. It was written by Ivy Flung and voiced by Sarah McInnes, with original music composed by Jonathan Weiss. For those who would like to follow along as they listen, there is a link to the poems in the episode description. Help me. I am drowning in my own tears. They become a tsunami. I try to get as high as possible, only to fall even deeper. My scalp rolls away from my body, detached. But then why do I still feel pain? In my limbs, from the tip of my toes to my heart. My left arm tries to steal the rose from my right, so the right encaged the left. I can't contain the obscurus inside my head anymore. Shouts and screams burst from my throat, but like the tree that falls in the forest, not a creature seems to hear. Is the sound swallowed by the soil that buries me or trapped inside my brain? The silence of solitude is terrifying, but equally so the noise of the crowd. I try to cover my eyes, my ears, my face. Why can't I seal all the senses? I did not ask the swallow to peck out my eyes. I did not want to press my heart into the thorns. When my eyelids shut, the nightmares rush out. So I open them. Or did I? For I see the same darkness. I beg for a little light, even a spark from a match. But it is soaked up in my tears, sweat, and blood. I curl up, hug myself tighter and tighter. I do not dare to ask for a shelter, only wish that I have a shell. Shall we? No one ever asked me. They fall in love. I simply fall. The last piece in this episode was written by Rebecca Kwong, and it's the first chapter of her upcoming fourth fantasy novel, Babel, or The Necessity of Violence, an arcane history of the Oxford Translators' Revolution. In it, you'll hear the voice of Arnold Setiati, as well as original music from Amelia Lake. In this fantasy story, Robin, a Chinese boy orphaned by cholera in Canton in the late 1820s, is brought to London by a mysterious professor and raised in Britain. By the time Professor Richard Lovell found his way through Canton's narrow alleys to the faded address in his diary, the boy was the only one in the house left alive. The air was rank, the floor slippery, a jug of water sat full, untouched by the bed. At first, the boy had been too scared of retching to drink. Now he was too weak to lift the jug. He was still conscious, though he'd sunk into a drowsy, half-dreaming haze. 
Soon he knew he'd fall into a deep sleep and fail to wake up again. That was what had happened to his grandparents a week ago. Then his aunts a day after, and then Miss Betty, the Englishwoman, a day after that. His mother had perished that morning. He lay beside her body, watching as the blues and purples deepened across her skin. The last thing she'd said to him was his name, two syllables mouthed without breath. Her face had gone slack and uneven, her tongue lolled out of her mouth. The boy tried to close her filmy eyes, but her lids kept sliding back open. No one answered when Professor Lovell knocked. No one exclaimed in surprise when he kicked through the front door, locked, because plague thieves were stripping the houses in the neighborhood bare. And though there was little of value in their home, the boy and his mother had wanted a few hours of peace before the sickness took them too. The boy heard all the commotion from upstairs, but he couldn't bring himself to care. By then, he only wanted to die. Professor Lovell made his way up the stairs, crossed the room, and stood over the boy for a long moment. He did not notice, or chose not to notice, the dead woman on the bed. The boy lay still in his shadow, wondering if this tall figure in black had come to reap his soul. How do you feel? Professor Lovell asked. The boy's breathing was too labored to answer. Professor Lovell knelt beside the bed. He drew a slim silver bar out of his front pocket and placed it over the boy's bare chest. The boy flinched. The metal stung like ice. Triacle, Professor Lovell said first in French, then in English, treacle. The bar glowed a pale white. There came an eerie sound from nowhere, a ringing, a singing. The boy whined and curled onto his side, his tongue prodding confusedly around his mouth. Bear with it, murmured Professor Lovell. Swallow what you taste. Several moments passed. The boy's breathing steadied. He opened his eyes. He saw Professor Lovell more clearly now. Could make out the slate gray eyes and curved nose. Ingo B, they called it, a hawk's beak nose, that could only belong on a foreigner's face. How do you feel now? Asked Professor Lovell. The boy took another deep breath. Then he said in surprisingly good English, "It's sweet. It tastes so sweet." Good. That means it worked. Professor Lovell slipped the bar back into his pocket. Is there anyone else alive here? No, whispered the boy. Just me. Is there anything you can't leave behind? The boy was silent for a moment. A fly landed on his mother's cheek and crawled across her nose. He wanted to brush it off, but he didn't have the strength to lift his hand. I can't take a body," said Professor Lovell. "Not where we're going." The boy stared at his mother for a long moment. "My books," he said at last, under the bed. Professor Lovell bent beneath the bed and pulled out four thick volumes, books written in English, spines battered from use, pages worn so thin that the print was barely still legible. He flipped through them, smiling despite himself, and placed them in his bag. Then he slid his arms under the boy's thin frame and lifted him out of the house. In 1829, the plague that later became known as the Asiatic Cholera made its way from Calcutta across the Bay of Bengal to the Far East, first to Siam, then Manila, then finally the shores of China on merchant ships whose dehydrated, sunken-eyed sailors dumped their waste into the Pearl River, contaminating the waters where thousands drank, laundered, swam, and bathed. It hit Canton like a wave, rapidly working its way from the docks to the inland residential areas. The boy's neighborhood had succumbed within weeks, whole families perishing helplessly in their homes. When Professor Lovell carried the boy out of Canton suburbs, everyone else on his street was already dead.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Attune. It was produced by Slaveya Zaharieva, Laura Palacio-Londono, Eileen Pang, as well as Xavier Waracha. I'm Xavier, your host for today. This episode was sound engineered by Slaveya Zaharieva, Laura Palacio-Londono, and Xavier Waracha. Our intro and outro theme is written by Sharon Ahn. Special thanks to Simi Oluren and Andrea Lee, our podcast editors at the YDN. Special thanks also to Rebecca Kwong for working with us on adapting the first chapter of her upcoming novel. Join us again for our fourth season, which will be released next spring. As always, from all of us at Attune, thanks for listening, and have a good day.